Hi, I'm Dubber. I'm the director of Music Tech Fest, and this is the MTF podcast. Now, we focused a lot on artificial intelligence and the human voice over the past year at MTF. Not voice AI as such, but vocal AI. Music performance, pushing at the edge of what the technology can do and what the human can do in relation to that. It's about human creativity at the centre and the human in one of the central projects that's been carried through 2019 at MTF is Harry Yeff, also known as champion beatboxer Reaps One. His collaboration with fellow MTFer, international serial hackathon winner and neural networks expert CJ Carr began at an MTF event back in 2015. Harry from London and CJ from Boston both presented Cymatics projects there. And to cut a long story short, they teamed up, worked together and took their collaboration out into the world as part of a residency at Nokia Bell Labs. They performed at Ars Electronica a couple of months back. And each time they bring their AI project back to MTF, it's advanced to whole new levels. Between the two of them, they've showcased their ideas and developed them at MTF in Frankfurt as part of Music Messer, in Pula in residence and industry at InfoBip, and in academia at Erlebro University just a couple of weeks back. And that's where I sat down with Harry and spoke to him about beatboxing, the connection between the voice and artificial intelligence, what it means to have a complex identity, the nature of expertise, his collaboration with CJ, and also what it means to be about the best in the world at one thing, while also being pretty solidly world-class at a handful of others. From MTF in Erebro, Sweden, this is an introduction to Harry Yef, and also Reaps One, who doesn't exist. Harry Yef, mm. uh, aka Reaps One. Yes. Also um, now reaps 100 yeah, as well. Is this inflation? Yeah. 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 So uh, uh, the world is changing. Um, yeah. Reaps 100 is, is all the concept work. So um, I do a number of different things, uh, all centered around the voice. But the last three years, things have really exploded when it comes to ideas uh, on top of what before was mostly performance. And um, and uh, that evolution we have dubbed Reaps 100, which mm-hmm. is uh, working with institutions and uh, designing and writing and creating spectacles and shows. And a lot of the things that are kind of once removed from about being about me as mm-hmm. an artist doing the thing, being on stage, uh, performing. Um, and that's actually what I'm most excited about. So is the 100 about a multitude? It's about an evolution. That's the way I see it. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it's 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 about... I think as an artist, it's a really, really important thing to identify change. It's a bit like a relationship. You know, if you if you're always in love with the point you fell in love with something, and you think that what defines you, you can end up a bit trapped. Uh-huh. Uh, whereas if you can actually like create these checkpoints or or these sort of self brands or um, identifiers, whatever you want to call them, it just helps you update. You update yourself, and, mm. and that's what these names are. And Reaps One is the performance, Reaps 100 is the evolution, and uh, Harry F is me. When you're filling in a form and they say occupation, what do you put? Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a really interesting one. Uh, I write artist. Um, when I am going through customs, I say beatboxer because they're like, what's that? And I go, <laughs> and they're like, wow, come in. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, Say that again. How do you spell that? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, it's just, yeah, that's correct. There you go. Um, but uh, yeah, it's um, uh, being, everyone talks about being multidisciplinary. Everyone talks about being multifaceted. But for your own sanity and also for productivity, I think there are some really interesting approaches to um, to how you order these things. And names are really great for that. Mm, mm. What kind of kid were you? Oh, wow, I had many. I had many names. Uh, <laughs> I um. I always associate, I've always associated, still associate with a ADD sort of energy and process. Um, I was always uh, like, like was w- never did what I was told, but always sort of managed to achieve in the end. Um, I uh, like, I hated school a lot, but I loved people. And I like, when it came to like extracurricular, I was always like, I just, I loved doing things because I was like captain of my chess team. I was house captain. I was a peer mentor. Um, uh, I was like head of my debate team. But were um, you like when you say you hated school? Were you flunking classes? Or yeah, you- I'd like. Uh, I was really naughty. Um, I would. Uh, <clears throat> I did many th- again, many things uh, which I won't go into. Um, but I, 
I had that, that that classic paradox is when I fell in love with something, I gave it my absolute all. And I was able to access an intelligence and, and a volition, which I was really proud of. But sometimes, even if I desperately wanted to be interested in something, mm. if I didn't connect with a subject, I just, I would fall asleep. I'd have like a physical, a physical reaction. And I think many people, like when people talk about ADD or uh, I like to use the term ADD process because it's it's a spectrum. It's not so clear in some people. Um, but like the main signifier, which I think is super hard for people to understand, is the story I always tell. I ended up doing quite well in school, basically because, I hope she doesn't listen to this, I don't think I've recorded this story, because of my girlfriend at the time. Uh -huh. um, I was deeply in love and uh, in, in a puppy-like way. And uh, she was she was like top two percent in the country, like super bright girl. And basically, her mum sat me down and was like, "If you don't do well in your GCSEs, like you're probably not going to be able to stay with Steph." So I found myself. I was winning chess tournaments at the time, which was great. But when it came to these things that normally I just be like, "Oh, I, can't, I just can't get my teeth into," I sat. I remember sitting down, like in uh, like in in my space at home. I was like, "Okay, Harry, you need." to absorb this information. And I remember spending 24 hours like looking at my uh, geography um, textbook. And I was, I, like, I was on the edge of crying because I just could not absorb it because I wasn't in my heart, heart of hearts interested. And what's happening there, and this is a proven idea, is people that uh, have this type of process, there is um, a chain of intention. And even if your conscious mind is saying, okay, Harry, mum and dad said that this is important. XX reason, this is important. There is almost like a physical pain. There's a, there's a physical block that can happen and you can't control that. Like nobody wants to do things that they find boring, mm. but people that have this type of process, there is almost like a pain uh, that you could associate with it when and and, and there's sort of a disharmony which is extremely dysfunctional um, and in adult life I've, re I've totally like mastered my ability to overcome that but as, as a young person you can you can get hit with a lot of, oh just get on with it like i'll oh, mm. stop being stop being stubborn or like stop um yes yeah, stop uh stop being an idiot uh, but the, there are other things at bay and um, that's one reason I really love to talk about my story and how I overcame some of those internal blocks. There's so. another thread to that story though, which is that you're a massive romantic. Like it was so important to you to be to, to, to be who she wanted you to be. No, I desperate, man, I, God, I really like, you know, when you're a teenager, that's something else at that point. And I desperately wanted to like just nail it. Um and eventually it did, it did kind of work out. Um, I did well, but uh, yeah, that was a, it was just a perfect example for the point I'm trying to make is that uh, when you have that type of mental process, even if every fiber in your conscious mind is desires to absorb it, mm. there is something else going on, which can just put up a wall and it's like, nope, nope. No, Harry, I don't care. We're not. You're not gonna. I want to do something else. I want to do something else. And that impulsiveness can be extremely, extremely frustrating um, and damaging. And uh, but eventually, what what it when I started moving with it, I realized I'm like Harry. You have to excel in the things that you love. If you just don't, if you don't become a leader in the things that you enjoy, then you just don't have a chance. Like you just, you have to double down and stuff. Because you're like really, really, really good at the things that you're good at. Is, is that <laughs> is that ever for other people? Um, in the same way that that you know, staring at geography was. Yeah. So what you mean is like is is that a Chess, decision? Beatboxing. Are, are you doing this because I'm so passionate about this? So I'm just going to dive into it and screw what anybody else thinks. Or wouldn't this person think of me better if? Uh, oh was, or, yeah. No. So so no. It's a fair question. In all honesty, it really. <clears throat> I in heart of hearts like it was just that eureka moment when it's like Harry you don't have a choice to do it like other people um like of course I love I I love pleasing the people I respect around me but it wasn't really like that it's like Harry this is the only way mm. it's like if you're going to do this stuff can I swear in this Sure. No, sure. you're going to fucking do this. And um, that was when I just started doubling down on my impulse. Because right. that, that's the thing that people don't talk about ADD uh, process is, yes, I, okay, the geography textbook I mm. struggled with, but when it came to things I loved, I would, I'm a, I'm a, I, 
I eat information. I can retain information in a way that other people couldn't. And I, I'm extremely um, pr proud of my intuition. So it's, some, it's something that my dad has as well, where I, I feel like I can be given a group, a sort of a, a collection of, of sort of uh, um, uh, themes or, uh, or different sort of aspects of information. And if it's around something that I care about, I can internalize that super fast. Mm -hmm. And that's... Um, but it's only in these these spaces. So I started doubling down on on art and music, um, and specifically my voice, and uh, became um, two times a national beatbox champion. I was third in the world by the time I was eighteen. Um, became a, a world leader in in that subculture, but then kind of transcended the culture and moved into this space of voice and making lateral connections. Um, so it's always been about doubling down in my specialism and the thing that I love, but but always really thinking about why will this matter to anyone else? Right. And like, why will... So at the time when I first started doing it, uh, when I first started doing shows, it was more about thinking... So And I was thinking about my sound design and my compositions. I was thinking, how could this work in a club? I wasn't thinking, I'm beatboxing. I'm like, how is this going to work after like a top DJ? And that's what made me stand out at the time for that. Now I'm thinking, okay, so if I push my voice to the absolute limit, how does that contribute to phonetics or linguistics um, or yeah, uh, paralanguage or articulatory phonetics? So it's that same thing of deep diving into the subjective and in doing that, you you mine for objective purposefulness that nobody else has. Right. Um, I'm going to come to that, but you mentioned mm. your dad, and for me that's a trigger. Tell yeah. me about your parents. So um, my 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 mom is a very, and, she, and I can say this, she's a very simple working class Irish lady, youngest of uh, nine siblings. Um, I have a lot of, a lot of cousins. Um, and, uh, she's always been a strong figure in my life, but she's, she gets on with her things. I look after her. My dad is my hero. Like I am him, basically all right. of my energy, everything that you see, sadly, this is not my, um, uh, uh, does he recognize that? Yes. Yeah. We're, so he's my biggest fan. I am his biggest fan. And, um, he's like a chess playing uh, uh, artist, musician, he plays the piano, the harmonica, he writes poetry, he's like incredible photorealist painter, all self-taught, like all out of his own intuition, doesn't do anything with it, this is the difference between <laughs> me and him, um, it's just because he's like, oh, I just want to I just want to like learn how to like uh, use gold leaf and uh, oh, I just want to like learn a little bit about like quantum physics. And it's just, again, it's, it, he's, he's more ADD than me. Right. Um, but my dad has always uh, passion, passion and impulse have always governed him. And oh. do you know what I mean? He's lived by that. Uh, he, he's 81. This is the other things. Old boy. Um, funny story that he would always tell me is when he was in the army, he was uh, being taught how to basically construct like this huge gun. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it was him and a bunch, a bunch of other sort of, I don't know what you call them soldiers, I guess, but I don't think he was technically a soldier. And um, he, he was focusing on, on uh, what he's, cause he has to, cause he's kept, keeps getting in trouble for getting distracted. And he's looking at how this gun is being constructed. And the next thing he he's like, Oh wow! Look at the colours on those clouds. Like, I wonder if I was to mix some like orange with that, and then and it's, then it's like, um, it's like about face. It's like go, and all he's just stood there, and he's like, "Fuck! I have no idea what like what I'm supposed to be doing." So we we have a very similar process where when it comes to other stuff that he's not interested in, if you're talking to him, he gets bored. He'll just start like talking about something else. He's impulsive. So when he saw me like diving into what I'm doing, he's always been very supportive. And I think that's why a lot of my self-belief, which is, is a massive reason why I am where I am, is uh, and how centered I am in my sort of own ideas. Uh, also extremely like critical, like critical thinking and um, is a huge part of my professionalism. And he, he, we used to debate from a really young age, like me and him. But he really gave me the the sort of the framework of self-made uh, intuition, self-made interest and manifesting and learning on your own terms, which is why I think beatboxing was perfect because there was no rule book. There was no textbook. Mm. The, it was something that once I got my teeth into, 
just like the way my dad taught himself to basically, he does these remarkable photorealistic oil paintings and he's never like read a textbook in his life. Um, I think I did the same thing with beatboxing, but there's not like thousands of other sort of beatboxers. Like there are millions of other painters. Right. So, so I think that's why I've been able to sort of, uh, do do what I've done and he's a huge part of that and um, still to this day he's like a massive inspiration and I look after him and hang out with him and yeah he, he's an absolute dude did so you I, have a beatboxing mentor as well yeah in of sorts I was pretty disruptive to the culture because I was always like I'm doing it my way and um uh, because mostly my mentors weren't beatboxers when I was growing up it was like electronic music producers so it was the people around me who um like another producer like Lyndon J that I do a lot of stuff with who's absolutely incredible um and then like a lot of the early dubstep and early grime like um yeah a lot of the early Wiley beats were a huge influence to me and that that those were the sounds that I was mimicking was like London electronic music mm -hmm. but as I got as I started getting a bit older um, and the first time I went to the world championships, uh, I got introduced to this huge family that is beatbox culture. And we're all sort of this, uh, bizarre eccentric family that is expanding by the second. It's uh, it's getting so huge now. It's a subculture that's like grown and grown and grown. Just, just so, sorry for my, for my reference, mm. the Venn diagram overlap between hip hop culture and beatboxing culture is what? So it, it's mostly a, it's mostly a time-based thing because there is a, um, there is uh, the sort of New York beatbox hip hop sort of uh, um, point where you had like uh, Razel, Dougie Fresh, uh, Click the Super Latin, like uh, Kenny Muhammad. These were all guys that came out of hip hop culture, but it's kind of hip hop or beatboxing doesn't have ownership over sound making. Do sure. you know what I mean, it kind of it goes. There's so many examples of different like um, uh, sort of uh, manifestations of it. Um, Razel specifically kind of evolved out of hip hop culture and he was like working with Bjork, he was working with Mike Patton, um, experimenting and, and really like sort of moved away from what you'd expect as a beatboxer. Um, so it gets a bit complicated because it's like subjectives within subjectives. But I, um, I always felt that hip hop rejected beatboxing. Like people were like, yo, yeah, beatboxing, hip hop. But a, beat, a beatboxer in a traditional hip hop terms is a guy that stands in the background and makes a beat for another artist right whereas the difference now is these people are at the front right because you, know? you do, do get this whole thing in hip-hop where sometimes the dj is at the front sometimes the rapper's at the front but the beatboxer is it's a it's, a, it's like it's when you don't have a beat i mean that's yeah. what that's what they're there for they're there to facilitate on the street some some a bit of percussion doesn't really matter what it is um yeah, a bit of percussion doesn't really matter what it is, and you, uh, the artist does their thing. Where the change now is, like for example, I, there were others like people like Kenny Muhammad, but basically no one still does our solo shows. That's just like not a normal thing, mm -hmm. and like that's always been my stamp. Is like I play to clubs. We used to a lot more play to clubs with thousands of people and I'll go on after a DJ and then a DJ will go on after me, but I've been using my voice for an hour. Right. And it's, uh, especially when I do like the really massive shows, I'm not going to focus on this too much, but when I did the really, really big ones, they were amazing, not because they were really big, but because like, for example, I did Arcadia at Boomtown and that's like 10,000 cap stage, but it's a giant spider and I was stood on the top. So you couldn't see me. Mm -hmm. So this hour set that I did Obviously, there were people there to see me and there were some fans, but there was a huge number of people that come in and out. They were dancing because they liked the music, right? not because they thought it was beatboxing. And like for me, that's always been the benchmark. And that's based on my interpretation of how to use the instrument. And that doesn't intrinsically have anything to do with hip hop. Uh, sound making and, and voice experimentation predates hip hop by tens of thousands of years. That's, that's a pretty excessive number but let's just go it's a that. good number yeah yeah. yeah yeah but so but so so hip-hop of course really owns a lot of amazing things regarding uh aspects of beatbox culture but there are innovations left and right it's not everything and like i've always been more sonically from a london more electronic end and that's bled through my beatboxing and that sound is uh is what's made my stamp and 
I, I can I can say proudly that I know that I changed the culture with that sound. Do you, um, do you do this because you didn't have access to a drum machine, or was it in that kind of story? Or? Yeah, yeah. So so this is. Um, I always sometimes I'm cautious to kind of say too much about it because it's it's like it's such a new thing for people that don't know about it and people think YouTube but but whatever it's a podcast and we're having a conversation. The reason I started was because I played a lot of different instruments growing up and I and I was basically couldn't afford to take the instruments home because everyone else could take the instruments home but you had to pay like a deposit and couldn't couldn't pay that because we didn't have any money. Um, so I was learning a piece on the drums um, and. Uh, couldn't take the, couldn't kind of have a kit at home or there was like these pad things that they give away that I, I couldn't have either so I started going like and then I like basically I I was naughty I, I didn't go to like re rehearsals one week but I managed to play the piece because I practiced speaking it and I was like oh I was like oh that's quite interesting I was like yeah I was like oh I can just use my voice to like learn pieces um, there's a sorry sideline. There's a whole Indian tradition of that as well. You yeah, yeah, yeah. So in, in traditional Indian drumming, like so, the voice again. See, this is what happens. You start jumping around. Yeah. But there's a yeah. In tradition in Indian drumming, you would for the first year you don't touch a drum. I think it's tal, which is I can't do that. Don't hold me to that. Um, but it's uh, it's so fascinating because the voice is the ultimate internalization tool. Because if you can speak it, you know it. If you can play it, you don't always know it. Mm. And it's a really interesting idea. Um, even in beatboxing, if there's a very complex pattern that you're trying to beatbox, you, uh, you're trying to catch up with yourself. But the question I always say to like, wh when I do occasionally have uh, students who I teach, I say like, well, can you speak it? Can you slow it down and can you say it? And a lot of the time they can't. If they can or they learn it and they go back to it, then they're able to do it. So there's something that I tapped into very, there was a lot of very interesting, I would, I will say, just say coincidences. I think there was some other thing going on there, but um, it's hard to identify. But there was a lot of really great coincidences that led me to kind of seeing the function in it from the beginning. But I never thought it would be like, I mean, come on, man, to making noises with your mouth. How could that possibly be useful or like a job or, or a career or like lead to like working with, universities um that's absurd isn't it who would who would ever do that right well, okay so i want to get to the the working with universities mm. thing because it's a, it's a leap uh to going from kid who makes noises no yeah totally well yeah to, to being essentially a, a you know researcher in residence at uh nokia bell labs and 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 doing stuff at that, that kind of mm. level um what's in between those two things or well, a lot um so a little bit after that stage i mentioned i toured globally I had a very, a very rich and uh, wonderful time of of week by week experiencing venues, different types of places, and just solely focusing on performance, and that was absolutely great. And I still love to perform now, um, but I reached a point when simultaneously another coincidence i walked off stage at a venue called Rasmataz, which is an incredible venue it's like um kind of like the fabric of barcelona um three thousand people i did a headline set and i just had this thing of like oh i was like i've, I've done that before just felt like that thing started creeping i'm like like this is this is this is starting to repeat itself do you know what i mean different venue like couldn't see anyone's face because you're on stage repetition so I made a very bold move, which was to... Oh, also, I met Razel the week before, and uh -huh. he, he basically came to, to meet me at the American Championships, who was the person that, like, first album I ever bought, came to see me at the Champs. He was like, Reaps, I'm passing you the torch. Said a lot of really nice things. Like, it was very pleasant. Kind of blew a fuse in my head, because when you're a kid, when you're 14, you have a dream, and it happens. You think it's going to be awesome. Yeah. So I was just like, crap, what else could I have done? Like, like it, it kind of messed with my head. Same time I did this show... So the reason I'm telling that long story is I took a step away from performing. And the same time I did that, uh, I met Sophie Scott, who was uh, a neurologist. Um, and we've been speaking. She came to the, the UK champs when I won the second time. Um, but we ended up doing a, a study. Like, so I became um, involved in a number of different voice studies. And I was effectively, by being a lab rat, I was introduced to the academic world. And I was introduced to, for the first time in my life, really, I was part of what felt like some objective reasoning. Like the way that researchers, researchers speak 
um, about new ideas and the way that they try and sort of tackle complex problems, um, I just had such a profound respect for. And it almost felt like the way that I've always rationalized my arts and, and, and tried to deconstruct and understand, um, I, I just... At the time, it wasn't, but I felt an association with it. And Sophie Scott, at the time, really valued my contributions outside of just being a, a sort of um, a, a sort of a lead subject. Um, and then I started to basically speak about the work I did with them, and communication became uh, as much as a priority to me as it was about performance. Because her research was about expertise specifically, mm -hmm. wasn't it? It wasn't specifically about um, the voice uh, or beatboxing. It was all about this idea of what does expertise look like on a neurological level? So anyone that has, like the crude term is flow state. So if you achieve flow, what is happening? And and uh, vocalists are great because you can put them in an fMRI very easily. And, um, and she really believed that when I was performing, I was displaying expert behavior, I was um, displaying flow. And she basically wanted to prove that. And I guess actually that's a really good point is, um, so did the study, um, I, we defined what I did as an expert behavior, compared me to controls. I had a hyperactive localized activity. The controls did not. Um, and in short, you compare that to speech. So right now I'm speaking fluently in English. In, so, in parts, I'm really not planning this. It's intention. It's just flowing out of my face. If I wasn't fluent in English, there are stops and you have to think and that's stammering. That is non-flow. Um, so that very simple idea and defining expertise, like in the art spaces that I'd been surrounded by, people muse and like abstract an idea of what is an expert, what is creativity. Um, and all of a sudden I had a very clear, what I thought was such a beautiful description of what I'm trying to achieve when I learn a new skill. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to uh, rehearse enough and clearly enough that the neurological processes that are in place can refine and refine and refine um, a process so that it is uh, I can achieve a state of flow. So that very simple idea, yes, a very much harder thing to achieve. There was this wonderful excitement of like, wow, that gave me such an insight into my creative process, and and I got I learned from it, and it was so practical and clear, and I just found that so beautiful and. That was my uh, sort of, I was like, man, I want more of this. Right. Yeah, I want to I wanna learn how to communicate with academics as an artist. I want to understand the challenges that are around being an artist working with researchers, which is mostly a language problem. A lot of the time, um, artists, fine artists, have can have a very similar goal to a bleeding edge tech researcher. Mm. The difference is uh, is is the choice and the sort of the learnt language and or structuring a uh, structuring of ideas. Mm. So uh, as that's specifically scientific research that you're you're going. It's not just about you know research into uh, creativity or research into yeah uh, no, yeah exactly. You're very very focused on the you know what is the science of this? Yeah, absolutely. And um and sp I guess speaking less specifically about me, there's uh there is just uh, a desperate need now from my experience for. Um, as many torches to be shining on these much larger problems um, we need uh, we need to make sure that um, artists who have the right type of expertise are using their power to be the empathy end of any process uh, it doesn't matter how efficient a tool is a process is eventually a lot of these ideas end up affecting people so when you need these ideas to connect Artistic expertise and artists are actually the ones that can explore new ways for these ideas to actually break habitual thinking, to open people's minds. Because traditional media and articles, uh, they're just not enough. And everything is changing so fast. And the people at the top are as confused as the people at the bottom. So we actually need as much expertise in these like rooms as possible. And artists are offering answers to connecting to people. Mm. Um, so if I get brought in now, we've jumped from sort of dubstep beatboxer in 2009 to um, someone who, from my conditioning of constantly moving between art spaces, residencies, um, research spaces, commercial spaces, 
I've been through a boot camp in dynamic communication and understanding the way that uh, ideas can be shared uh, and also finding the new gaps for um, for new types of <laughs> expressors. And like, I could just not be doing what I'm doing 10 years ago. Right. And the reason I am is because the amount of change. Um, if you look at any agency now, um, they are they are outsourcing creativity um, because they can no longer uh, promise engagement. Like a lot of the time, um, when it was simpler, a an agency would put a famous person in an ad, and that ad would go on the mainstreams of communication with the general public, and the general public would go wow, and then they would go buy the product, mm-hmm. but. Every single way that we connect with each other, media and everything has fractaled out by subdivisions of thousands um, that all the rules are out the window. So organic reach, like emotional connection and real engagement, it's only the artists that are actually managing that now. So, um, so yeah, so there's just my point is um, you would never think it, but the sort of the lords of the of abstract and the ones that are actually able to to generate emotional connections with things are very valuable when they also understand how to interact with different uh, spaces whether it's commercial academic Um, and that's what I'm really interested in and that that skill is nothing to do with my where I started and my, my voice but it's kind of it's it's been trained alongside and now I'm at this point where it's actually the communication the bridging the gaps between ideas connecting people is now more of a priority to me than right. my my uh, my voice. But I love my don't please don't like it's it sounds so negative saying that, but it's just uh, Not a difference. It's an yeah. added positive. It's uh, it's on top of everything else before. But so, I, that was a lot me, of information. So yeah, yeah, yeah but I, it makes I, me really curious about uh, what the new kind of Everest is in that respect. I mean, mm. you get to the top of one and you get sort of handed the torch and you go, okay, I've conquered that. Mm. I've, I've sort of, I've won beatboxing. Mm. Um, what's what's the new Everest? So I do have one. Um, when people talk to me about uh, purpose, um, again, subjectively, I want to make beautiful things and I want to I wanna, uh, create and there's many subjects that I personally want to explore. Mm. But objectively, there's one very simple idea that's come out of all of these um, sort of interactions that I've had, which I think stands out. And it's kind of the perfect mix of of everything that I've experienced, which is working with Sophie Scott, there is this very crude statistic that we use 20% of our vocal capacity outside of language. So outside of um, uh, phonetics and um, the, uh, the, the sort of, all of the social information that's stored in our voices outside of the actual words that we're saying, Mm -hmm. we don't really push to the limit. Everybody knows someone that talks like this and the the words are being said and you understand, but something is really missing. And in all of the obsession with devices and and, uh, lights and shiny things that we're surrounded by, there is a lot of evidence to suggest that we are missing out on many fundamentals. So if we come back to this idea, on average, globally, rough number, we use 20% of our vocal capacity. Mm-hmm. The question is, what happens if you increase that? So if you, the, the people listening, um, yourself as well, uh, if, you, if you increase that number and you add a sincerity, um, you add an emotional uh, uh sort of intensity you're, tonally you are varying you are you are expressing what you feel through your voice that has a direct impact on your loved ones your working relationships you connect with the world more but you also simultaneously connect with yourself which is the bizarre thing have you ever really thought about the voice in your head and what it sounds like that is based off your speaking voice. Mm-hmm. So your mind is hinged into your voice. So to not use that is to limit your thinking. So if I can increase that number globally, I can increase the well-being of the entire planet. So my job from now on is to explore voice projects, however grand, however small, that eventually can have a uh, 
a, a global um, impact that even just for a moment, a huge number of people will think, hold on, wait a minute, I'm not thinking about my voice. And that is completely free, completely achievable, absolutely sustainable. Um, and it just sums up like maybe why the hell I've been doing this for so long and why I'm so obsessed, <laughs> obsessed with it. And, um, and yeah, for some reason, like I can't 100% put a, a finger on it. Maybe it is, again, just about this kind of pure belief that I have, but I really explore everything to try and bring value to the people around me, whether it's my fans or my um, my my loved ones, like supporting them. Like I really dig real deep to try and bring value and it's this this evolution of trying to do that on a global scale yes it's grandiose yes it's like it's um it's a, a huge ambition but if the my previous if the last few years is anything to go by i think it's possible and um that's my mission now it seems like what you do with your voice is for the world but i'm really interested also i want to bring up your visual art that you do which yeah, seems oh, confusing like thing yeah. it seems like it's for you it seems like it's really personal it's really distinct mm. uh there's a real kind of aesthetic that that is just you um how do those things fit together yeah i think it's a, it's a fair question kind of what is for me because i've been thinking i've been working so hard at like integrating and um and also going into spaces where pe a lot of times people they're not art spaces as well so there's like i if there was any discrepancy in my thinking, like I would be like taken up on it. So that's been, ex that's been extremely challenging in one way and great, but yeah, you're right. I, I my visual art was kind of came before music, um, which is a really interesting thing. I am um, my dad being a visual artist. I think it's always kind of had something that um, is, uh, is much more about um, there's a meditative quality to it. And it's much more about channeling my, channeling my ADD like it, that does happen with my voice but it's so immediate it's so immediate and sh and like goes out into the world the my drawings take me like hours and hours and hours and sometimes days um depending on what I'm doing and yeah that's um I guess yeah that's a little bit more of a, a mystery for me and like that's something I don't try to overly rationalize for once in my life um but I love linear work I love uh, I love illustration um, and also I, I love the idea of fusing audio and visual together. That's like a massive part of, of a lot, all the cymatics work that I did, which is the main reason. Which is what brought you to Music Tech Fest in the first place. Yeah, exactly, which is why we met. But um, I'm really trying to think, uh, trying to find time to like take, um, take a few weeks off like next year to just draw. And, uh, and I think you've hit the nail on the head there. It, the only thing I would do in that space to kind of switch off from everything is draw. Um, and that's a... Again, there's like Reaps 100, which is concept. Reaps 1 is all the music, but that's a Harry thing. Like that's right, yeah, okay. yeah, that's like a Harry, Harry F thing. Um, so uh, yeah, that's very much for me. I just want to go back just to sort of round off as uh, you came to Music Tech Fest around cymatics, and CJ Carr came to Music Tech Fest around cymatics. Yeah, and you've ended up working together not on cymatics. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think MTF they. They bring curious people together. And um, I think what's synonymous with curiosity is ambition. And um, I don't think people, like, I don't settle for stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's like I I have a huge habit of as soon as I get my teeth into something, I start getting some momentum. I'm, like, pretty notorious being like, all right, I'm done with that now, next thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's not that I'm done with cymatics or neither is CJ. It's just the fact that, it, that that's what was interesting for us now but we're both pretty impulsive <laughs> so so now now we're pretty impulsive about uh finding something that has never happened before and tell I, me about what that is uh do you mean like in in um like what we're doing the joint, the, what, what's the joint journey that you're on yeah, I think that uh, it's it's actually maybe something that I, I, we've we've spoken about, but I've not articulated it sort of publicly. But I think me and CJ have a very similar shade of ambition, um, where we we basically navigate. Uh, our job is to interrupt. Like we we're, we're we're sort of a term which 
not for everyone, but it's been given to myself and CJ a number of times is, is intelligent interrupters. So we bring interruptive... Would you say trickster in the same... Well, no, because trickster kind of insinuates that in some way we're like, we're sort of playing... Um, I don't know, there's some kind of like non-dishonesty to it. Okay. But our our, our interruption is, is there for the betterment of everywhere that we go. Because it's not like we go to sort of... When I say interrupt, it's not like we're causing trouble. It's like we bring a new perspective or a new collection of skill sets, which maybe is going to be different to right. other people sure. in the room. But it's it's at the very heart of it is something truly purposeful. So for CJ, it might be him using Neuronets to generate, using for him, it's sample R&M and the mm -hmm. way that he uses it. And it's something that is still, even though we've been working with it for two years, it's still like uh, not fully sort of commercialized or... Um, or used widely so his ideas and the way that he uses it and the art that he applies to it and he's an artist that kind of finds these connections and these narratives that interrupts mm. the the culture that he's around um and the machine learning culture like databots is like is on people's tongues because he's found the right combination of ideas which is entertaining um true to the technology and cutting edge and that's a very hard thing to achieve um and um if, if he was talking about me, I, I don't know what he'd say. That's what I'd say about him. Um, but, uh, and when I'm talking about myself, I can't, I can't, I can't sort of speak in the same way, but like, I know for a fact that my, my collection of expertise doesn't exist anywhere else. And, um, that's uh, my job is to go in, be a tool user, be modular. It can be writing a production for one event. Um, another time I'm uh, working as a researcher, another time I'm actually working to just use um, what's being uh, developed by a researcher to maybe uh, just make them rethink it. Maybe it's to get more funding. Um, other times I'm just starting mosh pits. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, a, it's a real like um, mixed uh, collection of, of ideas, but everywhere that I go, I am there to interrupt in a way that can create new ideas and new perspective. Um, and I think those those types of artists, the ones that are are sort of jack of all trades and master of all to some extent, like they have three or four pillars that are very well trained. Um, that's becoming more and more common, and that, I, that's not unique to me. Like my collection is is I think is my power, um, but I think it's that type of artistry which comes from being. Uh, impulsive or being able to deal with a lot of um, switching between information which in school was not a good thing is now my strength and like that's actually ended up working in my favor someone was like what is the one thing that like ties it like all together um, I wouldn't be able to I wouldn't be 100% be able to tell you but it's mostly communication creative direction and the ability to connect ideas um, and um yeah, there will become a point where I can't like beatbox anymore, and that that's what I've been trying to sort of set up is my ideas are as valuable as. Is that a thing? Mm. That you you stop being able to? No, I don't think it is. But it's more like I've like like if I'm feeling like bored of it when I'm like 27. Do you know what I mean? It's like right, okay. there's a chance it's going to happen again at some point. So right, I'm trying to like sort of manifest because what keeps happening like at some talks like recently, people have been like, they're like, dude, like your beatboxing just gets in the way of your great ideas. It's like, you don't actually need to like even talk about it. And I'm like, well, I, I behave like that, but I still kind of have like an attachment to the wow factor. Well, it's of part it. of your identity too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't think I should like, cause I'm still a student. Do you know what I mean? I'm learning how to like balance all these like spaces. Um, but um, yeah, it's, uh, it's me. Do you know what I mean? That's like, I never want to like, not like, I don't need to not be myself. Do you know what I mean? I don't want, it doesn't matter what space I go into or like, like um, what, what sort of money or opportunity gets thrown on the table. I shouldn't have to like become something else. But you do have these compartmentalized identities though. You've got yeah. Harry, you've got Reef Swan, you've got Reef 100. Yeah. But and you put those things into, okay, now I'm being this, now I'm being that. Yeah. But I, I feel like I have ownership over all of them and okay. they, and, and it's like the way I see it is uh, there's so many narratives that make people feel like there's like they have one mode or they mm. have one sort of collection of skill sets which is 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 consistent and you have to be consistent with it otherwise you can't achieve like mm. ac academia is structured like that 
um, which is that like this idea that your your strength can also become your prison and uh, plasticity reduces the the like the longer you keep doing something. Um, but it doesn't have to always like be that way. The way that I make sense of the multiple outputs that I have, because like I know for a fact if that if you drop me at let's say a street art festival, I could paint a wall that would. I'm not going to say there's better street artists than me, but I know for a fact it wouldn't be out of place. It wouldn't be out of place. Yeah. If you put me as a speaker, it wouldn't be out of place. If I was beatboxing, if I had to compose a piece of music, it wouldn't be out of place. Um, and like. I'm not saying I'm amazing at lots of things. I'm just saying that when, as a, if you're coming at it from, say, say your son had a lot of different outputs, which I think he does. Like, it's like, what are the rationales you can do to make sure that you're managing those things? And it's not about trying to bend yourself into like, okay, this is what I am. And this is my decision. Sometimes maybe it's about like tidying the room of it all. And just like having a, um, uh, these, these packets that have different roles because completely fairly, uh, it, these things come up and people ask about art and then like where it came from and like beatboxing but then there's Harvard and I genuinely believe that all these things don't kind of always fit together in a sh in like a short period of time um, but it's uh, it's like how can you not change who you are but order the narratives of yourself to be the most effective that you can be so you, you basically mm. for the sake of simple and clear communication mm, yeah uh, <laughs> Yeah, believe it or not. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so I, I have more modes, and I, I try to avoid the impulse which I used to have, which is to uh, basically include everything. Mm. Um, but, um, but sometimes if someone's saying like, "So, who are you?" Yeah, that is who I am. I'm all these things, but all of what I am tends to be too much for people. Can I ask the really dumb question? Mm. What does the word "reaps" mean, or where does it come from? Um, there's uh, I, I can make up a really clever story, uh, really exciting when there's not one. But just one of my best friends growing up named all of his mates and he pointed at everyone and he said, pointed at me and he said, Reaps. And the one is because if there's any other Reaps, they're Reaps too, because I'm Reaps one. Okay. <laughs> That's literally it. And uh, I tried to change it so many times, um, but it, uh, it, it, I couldn't. Um, the uh, the main thing is, uh, is I, I like the fact it was a gift. It's not yeah. something, again. I don't like giving myself labels. I yeah, like yeah, yeah. I like using other things that people have said about me because uh -huh. that's a much better metric than sort of I am Mister Freeze or like yeah 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, but if it's what you if it's what people call you, then it's your name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. And when and people say like, "What's your name?" I'm, uh, what should I call you? I'm like Harry. Like I used to say, I used to say people were like people were like, "What should I call you?" I'd be like, well, my, my mum calls me Harry, but now my mum calls me Reaps. So it's uh, that that kind of went out the window. Um, but yeah, the the final thing is uh, also being in the public eye is extremely um, confusing because everyone has many different opinions. Like you get messages. I'm trying to define what I'm doing when you're getting hundreds of messages from people being like, I've seen that you're trying to do this and you're trying to do that. And this is what you should do. If you did this, like maybe people would like, um, understand or you should go back to battling because, Oh, that's like, that's, that's people are trying to give you advice. Yeah. Well, many, like, I think, I think because of my, um, because of my, I'd like to believe that I'm an open book in some ways. Mm -hmm. I'm very closed in in other ways, but I, I like my uh, the people I engage with, uh, either at shows or on social media. Like I really try to look out for people. So yeah. if I get a message from someone saying I'm having a bad time, like I will try and like make them like feel better, and yeah. I and I'll try to understand. And I used to do it a lot more, but what you start realizing is the more you do that people start becoming really invested in you and they've never met you. Yeah. And, um, and that got, that actually got really intense for a while. And like, I had to sort of take a step back and that's where this like reaps one does not exist thing comes from. Yeah. Cause the, um, the reaps one does not exist thing mm. was the point at which I thought, I don't know what he's doing, mm. but I do know he's a chess master. Mm. There's a strategy going on here and I don't know what it is. Mm. And he's several moves ahead of me already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. It's because um, basically it just answered all of the questions that people have. They're like, people are like, so like, why are you doing this? Did I just be like, Reapswan does not exist. I'm just like, it's like, it's not real. Like, it's not a real thing. Um, but obviously it is real because I'm here and it's one of those, th people just started debating and talking about it and trying to work out what it means. Yeah. And, um, and when people started arguing over things, someone will comment like, guys, just chill out. Reaps one does not exist. So it became this idea that like there's Harry 
there's reaps um, and reaps and all these other things are like constructs. And uh, it's, it just became a really fun thing to play with. And, um, and what was so, what's so strange about it is in saying that I do not exist. Mm. And uh, for those people out there who are intrigued by my work or by me, then discussing what that means um, I actually become more present in their minds mm. and um, it's actually become a meme. So like, is it ever um, about b being in character? Yeah. It, it, it kind of, what it does is it just defines that reaps is a character. Ah. Re reaps is a, it, it embodies this hyper version of myself, which I do become sometimes. Yeah. But again, this, this compartmentalization thing has been really healthy. And How does that so, fit into your kind of narratives theory? Cause if you've got characters that you're playing in a role that, you inhabit it's 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 less about a role it's about trying to make people understand what you are in ways that maybe is simpler for them and like that's uh yeah that's everything i do is is inherently sort of not the traditional do you know what i mean mm. so so these these narratives it's not like when i say i'm a character it's like i'm being um not me like obviously reaps one and when i'm on stage that, of course that is a part of me but that's not the same me when i'm off stage mm -hmm. and, and that's the that's based on what it pulls out of me like when i mm -hmm. for some reason when i'm in front of people i have a completely different disposition and energy that well, I give you off. turned up mm, yeah yeah absolutely yeah. yeah absolutely yeah. um so to organize in that way um just has been really really useful it's also been really useful for other artist friends that i'm around um and uh like like yeah, MTF does not exist. Do you know what I mean, it's a concept. It's it's in every single person that knows MTF has a different opinion of what it is. Yeah. So like, does it is it even real? Um, so it's it's just an it's a reminder to like not sort of let your hyper self completely mm. consume you or think that that is always you. I think all of us are exist in many states and we are way more complex than we give ourselves credit for um and all i'm trying to do is basically uh order that and and have a, a way of of uh of cutting up these things and like everyone around me like my manager like it's um uh, there are aspects to what i do which is not universally understood but on my terms i'm i'm being myself uh, via sharing these different aspects because I have different aspects to my personality. And yes, there is one body that is me yeah. and I am at the end of the day, Harry Yef and I, and I do all these things. Um, but it's really fun to, to clarify that in this space, this is, these are my val These are my contributions in this space. These are my contributions. And every so often they bleed into each other and cross over. And, um, and I talk about a million things in a podcast. So who am I, who am I speaking to now? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. Right now, um, reach one does not exist. That's what, yeah, yep. that's the way. When you're 81, you're where your dad is. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to be looking back on, and what are you going to be doing? Oh my god, um, probably going to be probably going to be doing what my dad's doing, which is just like painting every day, playing chess, and uh, yeah, chilling. But um, hopefully, uh, but um, with some stories to tell. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. But I, I guess when I'm when I'm looking back, I'll remember the day that I was at MTF doing a podcast and. Just, uh, yeah, remembering all the crazy people that I met. And, um, yeah, the fact that and I had a lovely time. I'm really glad. Thanks so much for being on the show. <laughs> Harry F. Reaps 1 and Reaps 100 in conversation at MTF Urubro a couple of weeks back. And that's the MTF podcast. If you enjoyed that, well, maybe you should click that subscribe button. It's totally free and means that you won't miss any more of these. Feel free to share, like, rate and review. And if you have a spot of time over the weekend at the gym, walking the dogs or whatever, also feel free to dig back and have a listen to some older episodes. We've got Bjorn from ABBA in there, some AI experts, music producers, copyright activists, inventors, CEOs of music tech companies, space explorers, Oscar winners, electronic pioneers and lots more. There's bound to be something of interest. And I'll catch you back here soon. Have a great week. Cheers. Thank <music> you.